The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. What I want to do today is I want to share with you some of what God is doing. Um, How many of you know how old this strategy is? Now, if anybody says Book of Acts, uh, you're going to get a pass today, right? You get 100 on the test for that. But more recently, does anybody know how old this strategy is? You want to take a guess at it? Five years. John got it. It's five years old. In 2013, the messengers to this convention looked at this map right here and said, we need to appoint people in each one of these major population centers to begin to work with churches and associations to try to reverse this right here. That was in 2013. In 2014, I came on to serve in the Triangle. I started out here. And uh, seven other guys came on at the same time. We've been at this for five years. So I thought the five-year mark would be a good time to begin to tell people some of what God is doing. And I want to say, He's doing it through churches just like yours. We have more contemporary churches. We have more traditional churches. We have small churches. And I mean small churches, 25 people. We have large churches, 10,000 people that are involved in this kind of work, this story is coming from all kinds. What I'm telling you today is coming from across the state, from probably every imaginable church. And if I don't tell a story from one of those, I probably have one of what God is doing through the local church. I want to make one statement very plain today. The local church is God's plan A. There is no other plan. It's not about the state convention as much as I love working for the state convention. It's not about the local association as much as I admire the work of our local associations. Both are important. Each are important on their own. They're even more important together. But you won't find Baptist associations and Baptist state conventions or national conventions in the New Testament. What you'll find is the power of God's Word empowered by the Holy Spirit through the local church. You guys are the front line. You're plan A. I thought back about uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Paul and Barnabas, here's what the Word says. Paul and Barnabas arrived. They're back in Jerusalem. They arrived. You remember the big council's coming in 15, right? But before they go into that kind of controversial convention, here's what they do. They arrived and they gathered the church together And they began to... Do you remember what they did? They began to report. See, they had just come off the first missionary journey. And they began to report, as the Scripture says, all things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, that was the big surprise. That that was the remainder of the book of Isaiah coming to life, which they really didn't expect until the very end of the age. And here it was through the door that Christ had opened through His death and His resurrection. Not only the Jewish people were coming to faith, but people like you and me were coming to faith. That the Gentiles were coming to faith. So what I want to do today is to report to you some of what God is doing through pockets of lostness. So let me lead us in a word of prayer as we get started. Father in heaven, we thank You this day for the work that You're doing through Your faithful people Father, I'm reminded of what Bill Smith told me years ago. You are the God who hits straight licks with crooked sticks, and we're glad. Father, there's not a one of us in here that are perfect, 
Father, there's not a one of us that comes from a church that's perfect. Every church has its struggles here on planet Earth. But what we do know is that in Christ, you see us as perfected already and in a process of becoming more like Jesus. And you've chosen us to take this good news to the nations. Now, Father, my prayer this morning is that we would praise and glorify your name for what you are doing through your local church. And we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, let me walk through a few slides before we get to some stories. Those are the 250 pockets of lostness across North Carolina. Um, I'm about to show you a a real simple um, table here. And I want you to keep in mind as we look at it that the first category, really, that's really not fair. Because in 2014, I can say we had 250 pockets that had no work going on in them whatsoever. But let me me make a little disclaimer here. I'm talking about intentional pocket engagement in 2014. That doesn't mean that your church wasn't already doing some good stuff here. But what changed in 2014 is we said there are areas in North Carolina where the, the lost population is growing unusually fast. Do you know what the average lost population is across the state of North Carolina, just the state average? The lowest number, the most conservative number, is 65% lost. That's a lot different than it was in 1972. So that number continues to grow. The most aggressive estimates are 90 to 93% lost. Those are the most aggressive evidence. Those are the latest ones. And there's some of the better research, by the way. If you want to learn where some of that comes from, I can tell you afterwards. But what I'm talking about today, was there a question? Or maybe it's somebody in the hall. What I'm talking about today is that in 2014, we had 250 pockets that were awaiting intentional engagement. There was no development. There was no engaging. And I'll show you a little bit more of what these mean in just a second. Today... There are only 102 that are left that have no intentional work going on that we know of. In in the last five years, 79 of them are in a developing phase and 69 of them are now in engagement phase. And it's of those 69 that I'll talk about today. So what do we mean by awaiting? When we talk about awaiting on our team, that means there's no intentional activity at all. Nobody's looked at that pocket and said, okay, who lives here? Now, I, I, I don't, and I'll come back to a slide in this, uh, of this in just a moment. But when you look at these pockets, it's not just a gathering of Southern white people. There are people in there that are hard for us to reach. There are people in there that have rejected the gospel and they've got no interest in us anymore. Some of it is the changing culture. Some of it is the way society is going today. A lot of it is just busyness. There's a lot more to do on weekends now than there used to be. So when we say awaiting, we say there's no intentional activity, but we're beginning to gather data. We're beginning to look. Let's find out who's there. Then in that next phase, we talk about the development phase. We're beginning to develop partnerships with pastors, with laymen. By the way, we never develop relationships with laymen without the pastor's blessing. Because we're not trying to pull you away from what your local church is doing. 
We're trying to integrate outreach into that pocket through the local church. So we're developing relationships with partnerships, with pastors, with directors of missions, with other Great Commission networks that are out there, church planting networks. We're developing relationships at the state convention with people that can help us. And then we're beginning to build strategies. In other words, we get a really good look at, let's say your local church is right here, it's in a pocket of lostness. More than likely, the majority of your members are driving in from somewhere else to this local church. That local church is no longer connected to that community. That's often what we find in pockets. And we'll say, okay, your church is here, and these are the lost people all around you. Let's begin to think through what it's going to take for you as a church to go to them. I don't know if you know or not, like I said earlier, they're not coming to us anymore. We can't just hang the tile on the church and expect them to come. They're, in fact, if you're attracting people, the chances are very high you're attracting people from other churches. It, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that's a good thing. But the truth is, 99% of the growth in the Southern Baptist Convention today that we report is coming from other churches, maybe other denominations. Okay, Only 1% of our growth is actually going out and impacting the lost population. So we're saying, how do we get from where we are to where they are and present the gospel in a way that's meaningful and reproducible so it can begin to spread through disciple-making among them as well? That's the developing phase. Then the final phase is engaging. When we're engaging one of these pockets, we're going in with intentional prayer. You mentioned prayer walking around the pocket of Austin. Do you remember what number that is there in... 138. Out of 250, it's number 138. We're building relationships. Not just friendships, but gospel-centered relationships. We're looking for people that have interests, that have needs. We can go in and begin to build relationships around. Then evangelism and discipleship. That's a very simple outline of what we do, but that's the basic approach. So today, 102 either have no intentional activity or some data gathering right now. Then 79... Uh, are in the developing phase of partnerships and strategies. 69, we're actually engaging in some way in the field. Yes, John? How do you find out where in your pocket block we say? Yes, well, there you go. You know what? I'll tell you what. Any, there's going to be, you got a handout here, the, the more square looking one here, the brochure. On the back, let's see, where's, there's an address you can contact. If you go to impact.org, you'll be getting in touch with me. So if you don't get to ask me a question today or see me afterwards, you can write that address right there. It'll come straight to me. And I'll be glad to answer whatever questions you have and help you get connected. Okay, so if we've got red is awaiting, yellow is developing, green is engaging, that's what the map looks like today. And by the way, that's as of October the 15th. That's what it looks like right now, okay? So let's break it down a little bit. That's what's awaiting right now. So all the gray are the remainder, but this is what's awaiting. Look at this right here. Any ideas on why that's so thick right in there? See it? We've had more engagement. We've had more work here than here. 
Any thoughts? When you look at that map. Uh, Asheville would be about here. So this is Charlotte, Gastonia, Hickory. Uh, this goes to Morganton. And then back up through this area right here. Uh, it is a little more rural. Yes, it is. Yeah, and by the way, any comment I make here, I'm not trying to be critical of this area at all. I, we're just trying to figure out what's going on here. Uh, one of the things is we've had three strategy coordinators rotate through Charlotte. Longevity has been a challenge there. Okay, And then in this area, we started out with somebody that was part-time. You wouldn't have known that. The economic impact in this area and the downturn was heavier here than any other place in the state. They had the slowest recovery. This is a very depressed area right now. That's a big... But with that depression comes opportunity as well. So the work has been slower. Churches are struggling more here. They don't have as much energy to put toward it. That's the awaiting. A quick look then at developing. A little harder to see, but you can see what that developing area looks like. This is all the areas of promise. I mean, this is where we're sowing the seed right now. So we're excited about what this will look like in the next five years. And this is where we're actually engaging. Again, the stories I'm telling today are coming from these areas. One of the things that's encouraging to me, look at this little line that's developing right here in one of the hardest areas in the state. That's an encouraging sign to me. Uh, you, you know what? It's very close to 321. Thank you. This is 85 coming through here. 321, I think. No, that's Spartanburg. 321 is winding right through here. So, yes, it's very close to 321. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One more. A uh, couple of quick things in about pockets. And then we're going to move on to our stories here. When we look at a pocket, imagine this is pocket, let's say, pocket 170, whatever our sister named back there. Okay? When we go into a pocket, what we're going to find, almost always, we're always going to find white, typically middle class. That's, that's usually what the majority will be, white middle class. Then we're going to find African American. And we're also going to find Hispanic. Almost all of our 250 pockets are going to have that mix right there. Think about the challenges of this group of churches, which are the majority of churches among North Carolina Baptists. Imagine the challenges of this group trying to reach African Americans. Can you think of some of the challenges we would have in reaching African Americans? What, what was that? Music. Music. Absolutely. The worship style. What's somebody else? Racism. Racism. Yeah. Clannish. Clannish. Yeah, I worked in Western North Carolina. I learned what clannish means in Western North Carolina. <laughs> it's good, and, and it can be a challenge as well. You, re- you could reach a clan pretty quickly if you got into the clan, but, it, but it's clannish. So we could be clannish. We could say, well, African Americans tend to group together. That's true. But there's also that clan with a K. And we have profound challenges reaching African Americans where the Klan has had either a long, ugly history or, as we were reminded just a few weeks ago, a resurgence. So we have profound issues there. What about reaching Hispanic? What challenges might we have reaching Hispanics? Language. Absolutely. Do you know what, do you know what a lot of our Hispanic uh, families call English? 
It's the language of the devil. Do you know why? It's not because you're the devil. It's hard, for one thing. But they look at all of the temptations that we have. And listen to our music. Watch our movies. Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you the same things you're concerned that your kids and grandkids are going to get sucked into? They're concerned too. And if they can keep them in Spanish, they're not exposed to all of that. It's a frightening thing for their children to learn English because it opens the floodgates to all these negative influences. When we go into a pocket, one of the first things we do is we begin to look at, okay, where are the barriers? What barriers are we going to have to cross? I want to show you the big five. Every pocket has these big five. Every one of them. So they'll have African American, Hispanic, poor, wealthy. Do you know we're not too good at reaching wealthy? We're not. Uh, There are some significant barriers there and not ones that middle class people can easily overcome. It'd be nice if we could, right? Yeah, overnight, uh, we've got a very healthy six-figure income. But that's probably not going to happen for most of us. So wealthy, that's, that's a whole new group of people, yes. And the wealthy, I find living on the mountain on the western edge, that the wealthy are gated. Yes, the wealthy are gated. Can't, get, can't even get into their properties or where they are. Very good point. That's a very good point. One of the ways we're finding to reach them is through golf communities. Through golf communities. I got some neat stories, can't tell you today because we don't have time, but um, that is a huge challenge for us. Yes. And then finally, multifamily housing, apartments, trailer parks, townhomes, etc. The North American Mission Board tells us that multifamily housing today is 95% unchurched. It's a big challenge. And again, we have gates, managers, fair housing laws, etc., that tend to keep churches out of those areas. Those, are, uh, those barriers, by the way, we can't overcome. And if you're interested in that, we have an approach to that uh, through the Baptist State Convention. I'd love to share it with you. All right. How about some stories? Miguel and Sylvia Lopez. Yeah, I got to make sure I got the right story up here. Okay. Um, Miguel and Sylvia. Uh, if you're familiar with Lincoln County, and Catawba County, Hickory, Lincolnton, 321 that was mentioned earlier. There is along that 321 line right there, all the way up um, through, toward Boone and then a little bit toward Wilkesboro. Okay? There are a number of Hispanics that have moved into that wide swath on either side of 321. Um, Keith Holler, the DOM, or the they call them associational mission strategists now. A little harder to say, but a very accurate description of what they're trying to be. Um, let's call them AMSs. Keith Holler and Dwayne Kirkendall. Dwayne's at Catawba Valley Baptist Association. They're seeing this need. So they begin to work with our strategy coordinator in the area, and they, they just began to pray about it. They found a few churches that were interested in doing something about this. And so between the AMSs, our strategy coordinator, and some specialists that we have at the state convention, William Ortega in church planting, Amari Santos now, some of you might know him, um, they had heard through the grapevine that Miguel and Sylvia Lopez from Cuba would be interested in church planting in North Carolina. It's a much longer story behind this. 
But what we did is through a few connections, we were able to arrange a conversation between Miguel and Keith Holler. They met. Miguel is a house church planter from Cuba. And so what they do in house churches is they meet in homes. They're not trying to build buildings. They're not trying to maintain buildings. They meet in homes, and they train local pastors in these small groups. And as they can train a local pastor to do the basic work of pastoring, they will establish these small churches. And then they establish a training center to continue training the pastors. That was the approach in Cuba. They've brought that approach now to Lincoln and Catawba County. So when the Lopez's got there, I think they've been there about a year now. They have, up to the time of this report, started four churches in that area. I do know in October they were very close to a fifth one. I, I just don't know if that one's taken, so I didn't put it in here. And they've established one training center now uh, at Woodlawn Baptist in Catawba County. And through that training center, he's doing two things. He's training the pastors that he has, and he's using it as a school to find potential pastors. So you can come and be a part of that training, and then he will pair that person with a pastor, and they'll just vet them for a while. See if the local community recognizes a call. See if God begins to issue that internal call. And through that, they find other pastors that can do what? plant more churches. Miguel and Sylvia have a vision right now for churches all the way through that corridor on 321, Lincoln County, Catawba County, probably some into Burke and also into Wilkes County. That's what they're looking at right now. This is one of the more exciting things going on because I don't have time to tell you today, but the same thing's happening in the Greensboro area with a church planting friend of his from where else? Cuba. Do you remember all that investment we've made in Cuba over the years through the Baptist owned mission? Now they're coming to help us. This is one of the cool things God's doing in this area. Back in, it was probably 2015, I think, our Asheville Strategy Coordinator, Steve Harris, I remember he came to a meeting one day and uh, he said, I found this group of people, I don't know what to do with them. He said, they're, they're artists. Um, they're hairy, <laughs> they're tattooed, most of them are atheist or new age. Uh, he said, I really can't even get close to them, but God had just broken his heart for them. They're all over downtown Asheville, you know, and if you've been down there, you know, I'm talking about the art district and all this, coffee shops, etc. And he said, he said, I just, he said, they're so far from any type of church we have in Asheville, I just don't know what we're going to do. So our team began to pray about it. Uh, Steve has a really strong prayer team there in Asheville. They began to pray about it. Not long after that, um, I don't remember exactly how he got connected, but he heard of this guy from Kentucky um, that had heard a little bit about, they were wanting, their family was wanting to plant another church. They had planted in Kentucky. And he heard about him through the grapevine. He said, hey, come down, I'll show you Asheville. We can walk around and just see if Asheville's a place where you want to plant a church. Well, Trent comes down. I think he came down with his family. And um, they're talking. They're in a coffee shop, and they're talking. And um, Steve shares with me. He goes, I, I'll just tell you a burden on my heart. And he said, it's these people right here. I don't know how to reach them. And uh, Trent's kind of grinning. He says, well, describe them to me. 
And he says, well, they're kind of hairy. <laughs> they like tattoos, branding, wounding themselves. They, they love art. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They, they just want to live free, right? Kind of hippie-like. And uh, Trent, Steve tells me, he said, Trent literally grinned at him. And he goes, I'm a bohemian. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. You're a what? And he goes, he goes, man, that's our lifestyle. We're farmers. We're organic farmers. But they'd work for the Kentucky Convention up there. And uh, he would, had been praying to reach Bohemians. They weren't doing that in Kentucky, and they were wanting to do it. And he said, I'm pretty sure God's calling us to Asheville. Let's, let's jump forward a bit. Um, Trent gets to Asheville, and he's spending 40 to 50 hours a week in coffee shops, just doing what you saw right there. Just meeting people, listening to their problems, talking to them, being that loving presence of Christ that he is. And one by one, people start coming to Christ. He's baptizing them in the river there in Black Mountain. Um, And this church, have any of you ever been or know of Ridgecrest Baptist Church? Ridgecrest Baptist, you know Ridgecrest, right? So in in the little town of Ridgecrest, it was Ridgecrest Baptist Church. My great aunts used to go to that church in the summer when they were at their cabin at Ridgecrest. And the people, so Ridgecrest was one of these churches that was declining. You know, the, 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 the population around them was changing and, and the, the congregation was aging. And they're just wondering, what are we going to do? It's not going to be long until this facility is beyond our ability to care for it. And so Steve introduced them with the help of the local DOM, AMS, introduced them to Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Now, they, they, they don't want to go in like it's a hostile takeover, right? They just want them to get to know Trent and what Trent's doing. Well, several of the members were just intrigued with what he was doing. And before long, the church had said, well, why don't you come in? You can use this empty room over here. Y'all can meet on Sundays. Trent was very gracious to do that. Jump forward about a year. Um, Ridgecrest Baptist Church was so impressed with what was happening, they began to meet in the basement, and they gave the worship center to the Bohemian Church. Not only that, they provided their their, their um, pastorium. What do you call that now? The parsonage. Uh, the parsonage. They provided the parsonage for Trent and his family to live in. I don't know if you saw this or not. They baptized 60 new believers in just a handful of years that he's been there. Um, Asheville Citizens Times <coughs> did an article on Trent. He was so impressed with the way that he goes in and invests in the community. It's gotten the attention uh, of a lot of people. Trent's hanging around. Grab him. Talk to him. Let, there's so many updates that I can't give you right now, things that just continue to happen. But this was a group we had no idea how we're going to even reach these people. Did you hear where it started? Did you hear how I said this whole thing started? It started with prayer. Just some people going, okay, we're going to pray. We've got something here. We don't even know how to, how to handle this. Faith Baptist in Durham, Andrew Ivester. Andrew's here as well. I don't have a picture of him. Okay, John, thank you. Um, I, so I was a triangle strategy coordinator back in 2015. I drove through Pocket 34 in East Durham. If you're ever in Durham, drive through East Durham. You need to see it. It's some of the most crushing poverty in North Carolina. It's some of the highest crime area in North Carolina. There are a lot of African American, a lot of Hispanics, and some white people, and every one of them are living below a living wage 
and the vast majority of them are living below the poverty level. It's crushing poverty in this area. Faith Baptist Church sits very close to Pocket 34. It was a congregation that was aging. It was declining. Andrew Ivester comes to Faith Baptist Church, and he meets our strategy coordinator, John Davenport. Uh, John was a missionary in Pakistan for 30-some years, I believe, if I've got that right. Um, And John just has this wonderful way about him, very gentle, very kind guy, um, and very missionary. If you're ever around him for a length of time, he's probably going to make you a missionary. And so they get to talking about Pocket 34. And John, in his gentle way, says, well, why don't we just go out there and walk and pray? And let's just see what God does. So John and Andrew go on this little prayer walk through pocket 34. And Andrew says for the first time, he begins to see all of the need. It's overwhelming when you walk through there. And so John said, Andrew's heart was broken. And John said, Andrew, we're starting the strategy cohort thing where we're going to take a handful of pastors for the next six months and we're just going to show them how to engage lostness in their community. We're, just, we're going to teach them. I'm going to teach you how we did it on the field, on the mission field. We're going to transfer those principles to East Durham. Do you want to come along and do that? Andrew was very eager. So Andrew starts this, this, um, this, this six-month intensive study with John and a couple other guys from the convention. And then Andrew gets this crazy idea. He really is enjoying what he's learning how to pray for the lost, how to begin to witness to the lost. And not only is he learning this, but he's going out each week and he's doing it. And he said, John, I've got this idea. I wonder if God's laid it on my heart. Um, I want to start training my people in my church what you're training me in. Would you join me in prayer about that? John goes, yeah, absolutely. So Sunday nights, he takes his entire Sunday night service and he turns it toward training. And the first thing he does, he trains them in prayer walking. And then he says... I'm going on a prayer walk. I don't remember what night it was. Any of you that want to join me, meet me at the church such that time we're going to go. Um, A couple of people went with him that night. A couple of his deacons. I think they went with him probably to protect him. Uh, This is a really dangerous part of North Carolina. And so they're walking through there. And he says, while we're walking through there, he said, God just broke the heart of these two deacons. Now, are you seeing God do stuff that we can't do through people just like you and me? And so... The the hearts of these deacons are just broken. And he said right there in the middle of pocket 34, these two deacons begin to weep and confess how they had failed God in this community that's right around them. These deacons go back, they're ignited. A few people are seeing changes. He offers another prayer walk, take another prayer walk. One of the members in the church on this second prayer walk made the comment, "Um, you guys better be packing if you're going back into that neighborhood. Because they're going to see you coming back and they know you don't belong and you may be ushered out of there on a stretcher. You you better make sure that you're packing when you go to this neighborhood. Keep that guy in mind. They're prayer walking this time and um, these, these men, a few others now, I think a few ladies went this time. They said, what if we held a block party out here? Just see who comes. We'll just hold a block party. Well, there was an apartment area over there called Rochelle Manor they were wanting to get into. And the lady who manages that place said, yeah, you come to a block party, but you can't be religious. You've got to be careful about that because we can get in trouble for that. Um, and so they said, no, we're just going to come to a block party. We're going to make friends. Anything we do religious will be based on the relationships outside of that. She says, well, you can do that. So they come back. And you remember the guy that made the comment, you better be packing? 
For some reason, he decided to be there that night. John, our strategy coordinator, was there when they did the block party. In fact, they brought people from Imago Day Church. Were you there? No, you weren't at there? He brought, brought him from his church to come help out with it. And he says, I look over and there's that guy sitting down with a 12-year-old African-American boy. And he said, guess who's doing all the talking? The African-American boy. He was listening. He was listening to how hard life is. God broke that man's heart. Keep that man in mind. He'll come back up again in a minute. The block party went well. The apartment people were impressed. And so the church goes back. They're praying about it on a Sunday night after some more training. And um, somebody stands up and said, Pastor, I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, but I just feel we need to do our VBS over at Rochelle Manor. Let's just take our VBS over there. Well, you know, some of the parents still wanted a VBS here, so they did two of them. They, they did their week-long one at the church, and then they said for the next five Wednesday nights, we're going to do VBS over at Rochelle Manor. Kids came. Parents came. Parents are impressed. One of the ladies there came over and she said, we've been praying for years for a church that will come and stay. She said, my apartment is open to you anytime you want it. Out of that, they started a ladies' Bible study. Before long, 20 women were coming to that Bible study. Since then, several have been saved and baptized in the church. Okay? So we're going along. This is happening. And the ladies decide, um, you know what? There's a lot of sin in our apartment area, in the townhomes across the street, and in the other apartments over here, Colony Manor. We want to go out with the gospel. Who'll go with us? So these women that live in Rochelle Manor are now going out to these other two apartment areas And they meet this guy called Mr. James. Mr. James had a reputation. If I understand it correctly, Mr. James had been the maintenance guy in Colony Manor um, for most of his life. And most people didn't like him. He was a little cranky, had a reputation, um, just destructive relationship with his extended family. And um, these ladies begin to share the gospel with him. Over time, Mr. James comes under conviction when the guy who said, you better be packing was out witnessing with them one night, and he gets to lead Mr. James to Christ. Mr. James comes to Christ, and they said the change was immediate. And all of a sudden, Mr. James is saying, well, I'll open my home to Bible study. Now they've got 20 men over at the townhomes that are meeting. Several of those have been saved and baptized. And just this past Sunday, Mr. James baptized his nephew, the first of his family members. They held another block party. No, actually, this was through... Okay, so the VBS went on for five nights, five Wednesday nights, and the apartment people said, why don't you keep coming back? They've been doing it now for a year and a half. Every Wednesday night, they're there. But they're doing two things. They work with the kids, but they're also working with adults. They're not just trying to reach kids. They're trying to reach adults. A Hispanic family comes, but they're from Connelly Manor. They had heard about it. They sent their kids over. The wife is saved. The husband is lost. They're very impressed with the way people are loving their kids that come to church on Sunday morning. They hear the gospel presented on Sunday morning. The father gives his life to Christ. Now, he's opened his garage, which is right in the middle of all of these apartments. And they hold a men's Bible study now, where 15 to 20 men are coming now. Several have been saved and baptized. If you can find Andrew Ivester this week, come by the booth. I'll try to find him for you. You need to talk to him. Here's what he said. He said, Chris, here's what we've done. He said, we are always asking God, what's next? What step do we take next? They never settle. They're always moving forward. And he said, I found the key. And if you're a church leader, you need to hear this. 
He said, I have to find the balance between patience with my people to follow. I got to be patient. I can't drive them into this or I'll drive them away. And the urgency of the lostness around us. Did you hear that? He understands his church. He understands his community. Pastor, the, the sweet spot in leadership is right there between the patience needed with your people. Some churches are going to take longer. It's okay. Some churches are going to be straight to the task. You want a church that's straight to the task? Go to Imago Day. You mention the need, they're on it. But they, they've spent years developing that in their church. There are other churches like Ridgecrest Baptist or Faith Baptist. It takes time. But I'm telling you, through the Word of God and His Spirit, they see that lostness. God ignites that fire. And they begin to move. All right, let's touch on, I think we've got a handful that I just want to touch on right here. Pocket 22 in Greensboro. Um, let me see. I'm going to try to do this last slide right here in just about five minutes, okay? Let's fire through these. Friendly Avenue Baptist Church is working with apartment life over here in Greensboro. They're reaching several apartment areas through that. They, uh, the church planter um, at... Uh, Mercy Hill, Friendly Avenue and Mercy Hill are working together. The church planter at Mercy Hill, they have started a second service now, or a second church over, it's called Cornerstone in Greensboro, um, and it's in the same pocket over here, and it's a Hispanic work that they've started. Um, they were in a meeting one day, and uh, let's see if I get this right. One of the pastors at this meeting, Pastor Neely is his name, um, he said, our church isn't in pocket 22. I'm really not sure why I'm here. He said, besides, and this is a quote, besides, we're trying to figure out what to do with all the Muslims and Hindus who are enrolling their children in our preschool. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I'd, start making some, I'd start making some friends. That's, and that's what they're doing. So now they're working with a couple of our guys from the state convention who have a lot of experience working with Hindus and Muslims, friendships are building there. Um, gosh, there's so much. I'm having to edit out so much. Pocket 146, Canton, North Carolina. We pastored this church, West Canton Baptist Church, from 1991 to 95, 96. Um, God was doing great things through that church then. Um, one of the things He let us do was buy some new property. And so we bought 18 beautiful acres of land. There were some good reasons for it. If you want to know more about it, talk to me afterwards. But after we left, we went into missions. We were your missionaries overseas. Um, the land sat there from 1996. It just it sat there. They didn't use it. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Blaylock came to that church, I think, seven or eight years ago. He began to pray, God, what do we do with this land? And uh, he had conversations with leaders. They would go over there and pray about it. And... Um, I don't remember where the idea came from, but the membership was in agreement. Let's take 11 of these 18 acres and let's level it. And let's build soccer fields. Let's just get it ready for soccer. Because soccer is growing. If you know anything about Canton, Waynesville, it's one of the greatest football rivalries in North Carolina. Um, soccer's growing faster now than football. In Western North Carolina. Yeah. And so they got these fields ready. And this past summer, it might have been spring, gets a call from the guy who leads the youth soccer league in Waynesville, North Carolina. 
And they said, we're losing our fields. We're not going to have them. They, they're going to be used for something else, for some other thing. And he said, we're looking for a place to play soccer. And he says, we, we've heard about your fields over there. Can I come take a look? So the guy comes over, he looks at over, and he goes, this is perfect for us. He says, we can actually put, I think they put like four different soccer fields out there. And um, he said, do you think you guys would be interested in hosting us out here? And Jonathan goes, you know, we'd be very interested in hosting you guys. He said, but I have to be honest, we're really interested in connecting with people while they're here. Could we do that? Would there be an opening for that? My wife and I got to go and serve the first day that soccer came to those fields this past September. 362 people showed up that day. And the members of West Canton are out there giving out water. They're giving out flyers for the upcoming trunk or treat. They're out there talking about women's Bible studies. They're out there meeting residents for five hours that day. Uh, one of the ladies that was out there helping went to lunch. They worked in two shifts. She had the early shift with us. She went to lunch, and while she was at lunch, she said this girl walks in, about a 10-year-old girl, dressed up in a soccer outfit, right? And so Beth turns around, and she goes, Hey, were you out at the soccer field? And the girl recognized her. She goes, Mom, Dad, this is the girl that was working at the church booth. Mom and Dad walk over and said, How long have you guys been doing this? And they said, We're new to the area. She said, This was our first day. She said, we've never seen love like that before. We'll be at church Sunday morning. They were there. Now look, I'm not saying that's the magic formula for getting people to come to your church. Because you really didn't get to attract them to the church. What did they attract them to? The, 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 and the, the people. The people. They, they connected with people at church. And that safety of relationship allows that person. You remember the girl in the video? We're afraid to read the Bible. We're afraid to try church. We don't know. But if you've got a friend, then you've got that connection back to church. Um, let me jump down to... Uh, yeah, I want, okay, this one I'll touch on real quick. Um, Jason, I believe is his name, Jason Lutz. Here's what he started doing. Oh, you can't see that, can you? That should have come up on the screen. Okay, imagine a diagram. Jason's up top, and he's got four lines coming out of up top. He's discipling four guys in his church. And what he's told them to do, he said, I'm going to disciple you, but your job is to disciple others. So there are four leaders from his church that he's discipling. These four leaders are now discipling two to four leaders from their church and a few from a couple of other churches. And then if you saw on this side of the diagram, there are some that are already discipling others. Here's what he's doing. He's revitalizing his church by investing, by discipling his leaders. It's changing the culture of the church. They're doing two things. They're working on their character as leaders, and they're working on their witness in the community. Those two things, like I told you before, revitalization has to be internal and it has to go external. Okay, last story, and we got plenty of time for this one. Pocket 19 in Raleigh. Um, Back in 2015, I think it was, uh, a couple, Paola is the lady, and Miguel moved from South Florida to Raleigh. Uh, they grew up, if I remember right, they grew up in Honduras, both of them. They moved to Raleigh. He's got a job. Um, she's going to be a homemaker. They're living in a, the apartments. You know them, don't you, Miguel and Paola? Yeah. They're living at the apartments. It's uh, Casa de Luna. Is that what it is? And um, 
She was raised in church, but probably not a believer. Her uncle would take her to church every Sunday um, in Honduras. But she's got this emptiness she just can't fill. But she's not going to push ahead of her husband, who's not a believer, and he's not really that interested. But her husband's had this recurring dream all through his life that this guy shows up and he says, I've got something very important to tell you that's going to change your life. So all of their married life, she's heard this story. The dream recurs from time to time. It's kind of unsettling for him, but now he's learning to kind of live with it. It's just not going to go away. They come to Raleigh, and um, Justin White and a team of folks from the No Place Left Network are going through this apartment area, and they're just praying to meet people where God's at work. They, Justin meets... Well, Justin doesn't. Somebody from the group meets Miguel and Paula. They said, hey, the Super Bowl's tonight. Why don't you come over to the house watch the game with us? So they decided to go. They bundle up the family. They head over to this home, and they watch the Super Bowl. Had a really great time. They're on their way home that night, and Miguel's very quiet. And Paula asked him... Um, she said, something's bothering you. Did you not enjoy the time night? She said, I really enjoyed this. And he goes, no, 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 I had a good time. He said, I'm learning a little bit about American football. And um, he said, no, great people. I have a really good time. He wouldn't talk much. That night before they turned into bed, he said, Paula, remember that dream I've always had about that guy and me? He's got something important to tell me. Justin White is the man in my dream. All my life, I've pictured this same guy, and it's him. What do I do? And Paula says, I think you call him right now because he's got something important to tell you. Justin led him to Christ. Miguel and Paula are now training Hispanics all across the state in how to pray and share the gospel and train new believers how to pray and share the gospel. It's happening in Casa de Luna. There are a couple of other apartments there that it's spread to. They're training people in the eastern part of the state. They're training people in the central part of the state. All because you had a church and just simply said, let's get out there and find out what God's doing. Um, I think that's the last frame. Um, I want to I close off with an idea on, on what you can do. All right, let me jump into this. What can, what can I do? Um, pray and go. We've printed a brochure or a, a booklet. And in January, we're going to be holding a prayer emphasis for people groups and pockets of lostness. This guide for 30 days will take you through Scripture, some prayer requests that we've identified, and a quick introduction to a people group and a pocket of lostness. So the pocket here is Wilmington. The people group are Syrians. These don't necessarily match up. You'll notice on the map that this one does. There are Syrians living in Wilmington. They don't always match up that way. I would encourage you to join us for Pray and Go. Um, I, if you'll come by our booth, we've got some more of these. And um, since you asked, I'll give you this one. Um, we've got a few more of those that we can give out at our booth in the exhibit hall. If you're interested and you want to know more, simply contact me at that address and we'll connect you. There's an online version of it. There's a printed version. The printed version is going to be hard to get because we only did so many of them. The online version is very user-friendly. It works like a book when you use it. Um, you can join us in prayer. 
I've got prayer cards in the back. Uh, I, didn't, I don't have one up with me, but maybe you could hold one of those up. There's one prayer card for each of our eight population areas. Take a prayer card near you and begin to pray. It also has a contact address on there. If you want to know more, you can get up with me. And then business cards, I actually didn't bring those because when you contact that address, I can put you in touch with whoever you need to talk to across the state. I want to close in a word of prayer, but I do want you to walk out today hearing me again. God's church, the local church is God's plan A. The convention plays an important role. The association plays an important role. But you all play the most important role. My work through the local church is more vital to the kingdom of God than what I do at the state convention or through my local association. They're important. God's raised them up for our day. But you guys are the front line. So I want to close in prayer for you and your church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for our state convention. Lord, I'm thankful because it allows me to highlight these areas um, that are the Macedonian call for North Carolina. That I'm able to stand and say, hey, if you want to reach a lost community, would you consider one of these pockets of lostness? Or to be able to say with Zach, if you're wanting to reach people from around the world, would you consider those that are living right across the street from you? Father, it is a gift to work for the state convention, and I thank you for the work. Father, we thank you for our local associations that have such deep relationships and understanding of the local church and the local context. Father, bless our associational mission strategists. Bless our partnership together with them, convention, association, and local church. But Father, my prayer today is that you would ignite a fire in each one here today that we would have a burden for the lostness around us and a desire to go in Your power with Your Word and see You do great and mighty things just like You've done in the past and as You're renewing today in North Carolina. Father, revive our churches through internal revitalization and through this external outreach. Father, raise up an army again that can go in the power of the Spirit, the power of Your Word, to see You do the great and mighty things that You've promised. And Lord, we promise we will give You praise before the nations for all You do. May You bless our churches so that the ends of the earth would fear Your name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.